Welcome to the first episode of Commuting the Cosmos, where we journey through the universe in search of fun things to talk about. For the first episode, which is the one you're currently listening to, the question comes from a discussion that a bunch of us had on a beach island in Fiji. And this was whilst we were filming Survivor. And I was pointing out stuff in the sky. You know, as the astro person in the group, I felt it was sort of my duty to point at the sky and make up facts. And apparently some of them were interesting enough that people asked questions of which I was woefully unprepared to answer. So here is me answering them now. And the question that I had the most from my dear castaways was where else in the solar system can we actually live? Now, I remember this night quite well. Jupiter was high up in the sky, right next to the moon. Mars was below her horizon. And so I think the moon is probably the best place to start. You know, can we live on the moon? And the answer to essentially any time when I say, can we live there, is probably yes. It's just what's easy and what's not. Now, the best thing about the moon is the fact that it's so close to Earth because travel time is a nightmare. You know, getting to work takes an hour or two. That's that's fine. You go into space and you're lucky if journeys take less than a couple months. And the moon, I mean, it's three days away. Um, hopefully we can shrink that down a bit, but it's close to Earth. And that means it's going to be so much easier to build on than anywhere else in the solar system just because we can get resources out there in a timely fashion. And once you're on the moon, it's so easy to get off. Uh, A fantastic thing is the moon has such low gravity. Its mass is just a fraction of that on Earth. So one sixteenth the gravity that you have here on Earth. So you put a rocket on the moon and you don't need so much fuel to get up and out of the moon's gravitational well than you do on Earth, which is fantastic for when you actually want to go somewhere else that isn't the moon, which is probably going to be quite often given there's very little to do on the moon itself. And the low gravity is probably why there's so little to do on the moon. The moon doesn't have the gravitational field required to maintain a sort of thick atmosphere, the sort that we like, you know, as humans who breathe oxygen. So obviously the moon has no atmosphere. This is bad for us. You can't just go walking around outside. So if you move to the moon, you're going to need to actually bring the atmosphere with you and bring some way of keeping that. Whether that be giant moon domes or just digging underground, who knows? Uh, But obviously the surface isn't going to be the best place because without an atmosphere also comes the issue of radiation shielding. So here on Earth, fantastic, lots of lots of gas between us and nasty space, and that and the Earth's magnetic field protect us from a bunch of cosmic radiation that is not the best for humans. So on the moon, you don't have that. So radiation shielding needs to be done, you know, the old fashioned way, which is with something that we build or go underground. And the moon actually has a lot of positives when you go underground because you don't need to dig out much yourself. There's actually a bunch of lava tubes on the moon that were formed billions of years ago when the moon was still young and hot. So some of these lava tubes are up to 900 meters in diameter, two kilometers long, and that's just the ones that we've discovered. So surely there will be larger ones that we haven't found yet. And there's actually a big push to get some new moon rovers down to see if they can go exploring, try and find some of these cool ass lava tubes. Because once you get in a tube, it has great structural integrity, you know, because the gravity is so low, 
on the moon, you don't need as much rock. You know, there's less danger of cave-ins with these wide open spaces because there's less force pushing down on the supports. So just find a nice lava tube, set up shop, maybe reinforce it a tiny bit, sure. But then suddenly you have this airtight space that provides fantastic radiation shielding and you can just build whatever you like. The only downside is uh, it's, it's pitch black. So you have to bring your own lights, but that's fine. Just put in a big LED array on the ceiling, simulate the sun. It'll be amazing. Now, another benefit of the moon is that you don't need to bring absolutely everything with you. So you have water ice at the lunar poles, and that's good because you can drink it if you melt it down. You can split the water into hydrogen and oxygen for rocket fuel, and you can also, if you need, use it for radiation shielding. Water is actually a fantastic radiation shield. If you had a, a normal Olympic-sized swimming pool and coated the bottom of it with barrels of nuclear waste, you can still safely swim in the surface of that pool without getting essentially any radiation at all. Um, water just absorbs all of it within the first meter or two. So that's absolutely fantastic. And then the moon on top of all this water has some really cool materials like silicon and helium-3 that you can extract quite easily. Helium-3 being fantastic for the case where we somehow get nuclear fusion reactors off the ground and you can use that for fusion. So the moon itself is quite promising and there are actually other moons in the solar system that we should perhaps look at so if we go out to Jupiter and have a look at Europa, it's thought to have a subsurface ocean that's maintained by geological activity, tidal heating, and irradiation. So that moon might have more water and oxygen on it than Earth and its atmosphere in total, which is fantastic. However, once you start going out to places like Jupiter, it's just so far away that transporting either yourself or resources between Earth and Jupiter becomes years in the process. However, if this is a good thing for you, if you're trying to escape the in-laws, then perhaps you want to go out to Enceladus, which is a moon of Saturn, and it's thought to have a subsurface liquid water ocean as well, also from tidal heating or geothermal activity, and there's tons of free hydrogen to be found, which is just awesome for rocket fuel um, and yeah you'll never have to deal with visitors because it'll take a decade to get out there and say hi. Now if you want a better moon out at Saturn go visit Titan. So the fantastic thing is that Titan has an Earth-like atmosphere but it's even thicker. It's 40% more dense than Earth's atmosphere so you don't need a pressure suit to wander around and it manages to keep this atmosphere because it has a magnetosphere which is fantastic. Now it also has hydrocarbon lakes, cryovolcanoes, and methane rain. And whilst methane rain might not sound like the best thing, methane does burn. And Titan has entire lakes of essentially pure methane and ammonia, so you can make fertilizer, or you can just light it on fire if you have the oxygen to spare, uh, which would probably make for a good welcome to Titan party. So the atmosphere that it has is nitrogen, methane, and ammonia. So fantastic for nitrogen, not the most useful gas for us. So you would need to bring in the oxygen when you get there. Uh, there's not much else you can do about that. Oxygen is actually really hard to find in the solar system because generally the only way that you get oxygen in a gaseous form is through organic processes. So essentially Earth. 
Uh, you can have carbon dioxide, and if you want carbon dioxide, then you have to essentially go visit some of the other planets like Mars or Venus. And Venus has an atmosphere that is around 96% carbon dioxide. So theoretically, plants should love it, right? Um, sort of. However, they may have an issue with the fact that it rains sulfuric acid. Uh, there are literally clouds of sulfuric acid in Venus, um, so not the best to be out without the pressure suit. However, if you're on the surface of Venus, it doesn't really matter because I assume you'd be dead anyway because it gets up to 460 degrees Celsius and the surface pressure just from that thick atmosphere is equivalent of being around a kilometer down in our oceans, uh, which is not a distance that I can comfortably free dive to. So most proposals to go and colonize Venus don't have us actually on the ground, but using the super dense atmosphere to essentially live in flying airships around 50 kilometers up. And that's when the temperature ranges between 0 and 50 degrees Celsius, so something closer to Earth, and you're above uh, most of the sulfuric acid clouds. But not all of them, so I feel like that's a bit of an issue if you're going to have these giant airships that you live in and there's acid everywhere. Uh, I would really hate for there to be some issue um, because then you all die. But the benefit of this thick atmosphere is that it does have fantastic radiation shielding. Um, yeah, that, that's about it really. The other issue with Venus that some people wouldn't consider an issue is that it's essentially the same mass as Earth, so you have Earth-like gravity. However, if you want to get off Venus, having Earth-like gravity isn't the best because the, the more gravity you have, the bigger the rockets you need to actually leave. And if, for example, you're living in airships, it's not like you have this nice solid base with which to launch a rocket from, so it seems like going to Venus is likely to be a one-way trip to a planet that is generally around 500 degrees and filled with sulfuric acid. So I'm gonna hard pass on that and uh, we'll see what else sort of comes up in the future. Now, just to get it out of the way, my response to how about we go live on Mercury is, oh God, no, it's so close to the sun. Uh, you wouldn't need any sort of power apart from solar panels, uh, which is a, a positive, um, but it's quite hot. Uh, it's tidally locked to the sun. So we used to think that Mercury was synchronously tidally locked, and that means that the same side of Mercury is always facing the sun. Uh, you'll notice that the moon is synchronously locked to the orbit of the Earth, so that whenever you look up at the moon, regardless of what time of year or what phase the moon is in, you're seeing the same side. And that's because it's locked in a one-to-one -one ratio. Now, Mercury is not synchronously locked, so it's locked in a three-to-two ratio. The bad thing is, if it was locked one-to-one, -one, you might be able to live sort of in the small patch of area between the side of the planet that always faces the sun and the side of the planet which never faces the sun. And that way you can try and, I guess, pick a comfortable temperature to live in and then just live in perpetual sunrise or sunset, whatever floats your boat. But the fact that it isn't synchronously means that at some point you're going to be directly under the full glare of the sun and it's going to reach an excess of 400 degrees yet again. Because it's so hot and so close to the sun, there's also a bunch of low-profile shield volcanoes that have a bad habit of going off and uh, not good if you're living near them. 
And it has a highly eccentric orbit, which means that unlike Earth, which is mostly a circular orbit, um, Mercury gets a lot closer to the sun at some points than it does at others. So you also have this huge amount of solar variability, which isn't the best if you're wanting nice stable temperatures. And the other downside of being so close to the sun is whenever there's solar activity, solar flares or whatnot, when Mercury gets hit, it gets hit really hard. And, you know, if you're a plant life, that might not be the worst thing, but if you rely on any form of electronics to actually function, uh, I have bad news. Literally, the only good thing that I can find about Mercury is that it's less massive than Earth. So it has a gravitational strength of around 0.4 Gs. So it would be easier to get off Mercury than it would be to Venus, even though you now have to travel further than Venus. And finally, the other bad thing about Mercury, just to keep adding to the list, is that it doesn't have a proper atmosphere. I mean, technically, there's a little bit. It has a density of 0.05 picobars. So that's a picobar being a billionth of one bar of pressure. Uh, so it essentially doesn't exist. And that means no radiation shielding. You have to bring your own oxygen. You have to bring everything to this hot lump of rock that has literally nothing going for it. So don't do it. All right, so that's Mercury done. So I should probably get to the one that everyone actually cares about, which is Mars. So Mars is the, the real candidate here, what people are actually looking at trying to colonize. And I'm gonna talk in the future perhaps about various ways that we can actually terraform Mars to make it more Earth-like. But at the moment, Mars is pretty good. It's lighter than Earth, so its gravitational field is less. In fact, it's actually less than Mercury's as well, coming in at only around 0.36 Gs. So fantastic for getting off Mars in the future. Additionally, Mars has soil, it has surface ice at the poles, it has water underground, and it's close enough that solar power is still a viable source, which you wouldn't have if you were going out to Jupiter or Saturn. One downside to Mars, though, is that its atmosphere, whilst it is carbon dioxide, so uh, good on that, it's super, super thin. The density of this atmosphere is only around 0.6% of Earth's atmosphere, uh, and that has the downside of being below the Armstrong limit. And the Armstrong limit is the limit at which water boils at the temperature of a human body. So you do need a pressure suit to walk around in Mars because water will literally steam out of you as soon as you take it off. Uh, this is bad even if you're trying to lose weight. So the other downside without having an atmosphere is you again need to build your own radiation shielding. So you can do the similar thing to what you want to do at the moon and sort of go underground. But I'm sure you've all seen images of proposed Mars colonization sites. None of them are underground. It's too much of a pain to dig when you're that far away from Earth. So you just put up some nice pretty domes, make sure that they have enough radiation shielding, and then hope that they don't get cracked. Uh, which is normally fair enough because you always have fail-safes. So the reason that Mars doesn't have an atmosphere is largely because Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. So magnetic fields are great because they stop solar winds from stripping away atmospheres, and Earth has one thanks to the liquid iron in the outer core, which is just below the mantle.
Mars does not have this. Mars does not have any liquid metal. It just has a solid core. And because of that, it doesn't have or produce magnetic fields. The lack of magnetic fields allows the atmosphere to be stripped over millions and billions of years down to essentially nothing. But if we can find some way of essentially thickening up the atmosphere, uh, whether that's just borrow a bunch of gas from Jupiter or somewhere else, uh, I don't know how you would do this, but it would be stripped, but not on timescales that we as human beings actually care about. So if we could somehow thicken the atmosphere, maybe better idea is steal Venuses somehow, add extra carbon dioxide, get some plant life going, turn that into oxygen. You could have a breathable atmosphere without the need of a pressure suit that will last for hundreds of millions of years without any hassle. So finally, the other benefit that Mars has, which other planets don't, is that it's quite close to Earth. It only takes nine months to get there when we send a probe, and nine months when you're sort of you know, traveling in space is not that long. And presumably, by the time we colonize Mars, propulsion technology will have advanced anyway. In fact, propulsion technology is something that I want to talk about in a future episode. We can run through chemical propulsion systems, that's classical rockets, to fantastic ion drives, or even some of the more outlandish concepts such as detonating nuclear bombs below you and then just riding the shockwave. But that's not today. So with all this in mind, it really does seem that Mars is currently the best option, with the moon in close second place, I think. Maybe even the moon in first place if you want to actually prototype or test out certain ideas before you commit to an entirely new planet, you know, before the relationship gets really serious. So various organizations from NASA to SpaceX are currently looking at potential plans to either have a manned mission to Mars or to actually set up initial colonies. Um, I should point out that those plans aren't exactly things that are being constructed right now. They are long-term goals, but hopefully they're goals that we will see in our lifetimes. Now, there is one place in the solar system which I haven't talked about yet, because it's Earth. Now, as much as I do like space, I will admit I don't mind Earth. So here's hoping that we can keep the planet alive for at least a few hundred more years Surely it can't be too much to ask. However, in the case of a global catastrophe, let's say an asteroid impact or internet memes becoming the global currency, we may need to evacuate the planet as quickly as possible. And if we want a new Earth-like planet, most of the options that I've talked about in this small session aren't too viable. You can't turn Mercury or the Moon or any other Moon into an Earth-like system. The best chance we have is Mars, turning that into something that resembles Earth. And so that's why in the next episode, I'm going to give a very brief rundown of a few of the different terraforming options that we have available to us if we wanted to actually make Mars look as green and blue as possible instead of its current red fad. The caveat with this being that some of these solutions that I'll talk about may take more than a, a couple of weeks to implement but hopefully we're all forward-thinking individuals right here. So if you'll join me next week, I'll happily talk about that.